Frontline Church. Welcome here this morning. So good to be with you on this very special Easter Sunday service. Because on the third day, because on the third day, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Let me just give you a break down of praise in this Amen. 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 Thank you, mate. Take your seats and thank you, worship team. Yes. This is give our worship team a round of applause. Now, in case you didn't believe me this morning, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 24. Luke chapter number 24, we'll read together from, from verse 1. We should have it on the screen for you as well. I'll read it anyway. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood beside them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not risen. He is not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day, Rise again. Come on, give a little shout of praise right there. Now church, this moment was an intersection between time and eternity. It was the most significant and most important moment throughout all of history. Past, present and will still be in our future. And I suppose at the time it was a moment that was filled with so much emotion, but also so much confusion. Imagine, can you imagine at the time, before this event happened, being one of the followers of Jesus, someone that you trusted your whole life to, that believed His message, that He was the Messiah, that He was, he was the one. He was the Christ, He was the Deliverer, He was the King that you'd hoped for your whole life. And you placed all your confidence in Him and then, and then it's over. He's dead. And you, can you imagine that what these thoughts that must have been going on in their minds about you know, Jesus is dead and, and he's failed. And on a more personal level, they're probably thinking, well, he's failed us. And I think it's really impressive that these women went to the, the tomb of Jesus after he was crucified because they must have had mixed feelings. Feelings of grief and loss, but also of betrayal and despair. And they were probably thinking, you know, if he was a hope, where would a hope come from? If he was not a hope. But they went to the tomb with their spices to pay honor and to anoint his body and to pay their last respects. But when they arrived there, something was out of place. The giant stone that locked the tomb was rolled away. And there were rumors about this Jesus that implied that on the third day he would rise from the dead. And so the Roman officials wanted to make sure that, that the people didn't become hysterical about this whole event and try and steal his body and then claim that he was alive. And so they placed a soldier there to make sure that nothing happened. To make sure that they, they didn't steal his body. And the Roman officials were good at what they did. But even the Roman soldier was unable to stop what was about to happen. 
the tomb was open, the stone was rolled away, and when they went inside, Jesus was gone. And it says that they were standing there wondering what was going on, that they were standing there perplexed, and then two men stood beside them who were white like lightning, and they terrified them, and they fell to their face in fear. And then the two angelic beings said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Which was a strange question for them really in that moment because I think they really believed that Jesus was dead. They believed their Savior was dead. Their hope was buried in that grave. And so the angels reminded them of the words of Jesus that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And then it says in verse 8, and then they remembered His words. And I suppose it was difficult for them to comprehend in that moment because it just wasn't natural for someone to come back to life. Right? But when the angels reminded them, they, they remembered the words of Jesus. And you know, sometimes the memory comes rushing in when reality finally explains what you couldn't comprehend. And if you're here this morning and you, you're here for the first time and you, you can't really comprehend what I'm saying, and you're trying to make sense of God, and you're not even sure if God exists. And you may have come as a, as, a, as a guest of a friend this morning, and you may think that Jesus is a myth, or a legend, or a prophet. Just suspend belief with me for a moment. And believe for a moment that God stepped into human history. That He took on flesh and blood, and He walked among us, and His name was Jesus. And He lived a sinless and perfect life. And He was the expression of everything that is good and true and perfect and beautiful. And that every word that came out of His mouth and every action He performed on this earth was motivated by love. And then He found Himself opposed by the ones that He gave His grace and His kindness to. The ones that He accepted and loved regardless of, his broken, of their brokenness. And so they decided to plot against Him to crucify Him. They marked him a criminal and he was crucified in the most brutal of ways. And you may be asking this morning, why did he have to do that? Why did the Son of Man, why did this God's Son have to be crucified and go in such a brutal way? And since we're asking questions this morning, how will what Jesus did 2019 years ago help me in my situation today? The problems I'm facing today. And how will it solve the problems that we are dealing with in this world? I mean, let's face it, church, let's be honest. Our world is in disarray. And our history just keeps repeating itself, right? And there seems to be this repetitive, continuous pattern of war and of violence, of suffering and poverty or injustice or racism. And we don't seem to learn from our mistakes. We just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And I really believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus was God's way of saving humanity from itself. It was His way of reversing the patterns of our lives and exchanging it for something beautiful. Something beautiful. God was trying to show us a pattern that would lead us to life, but at first had to come through His death and then His resurrection. And church, it's this exchange that is this beautiful exchange that is available to each and every one of us. Whether any of you believe that Jesus was going to be consumed by death on the cross, when in fact Jesus came to consume death itself. Amen? 
And you see, church, because of the price that Jesus paid, He doesn't want us to live a life that is consumed by death. He wants us to die with Him so that we can truly live. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 to 4. If you want to go there in your Bibles, and we'll stay in the book of Romans for most of the morning. This is what it says. But do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And if you're here this morning and you know very little about God, or you're uncertain about God, and you don't know what God's intention is for your life, you may think that God is judging and, and judge, God is condemning. And He's this, this terrifying God. I want you to know this morning that God has one intention for you. And it's right here in the Scripture. God's intention for you, for you is that you too may live a new life. This is why God longs for you. This is what God wants for you. This is why Jesus came. This is why He was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead so that you could live the life that only God can give. The scripture goes on to say in verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And here's the conundrum this morning. We all want to be united in a resurrection, but none of us want to be united in a crucifixion. We want the life of God, but we don't want the death of God. And we keep trying to spend our life avoiding death, and we don't realize that we're actually swimming in death. Because the only way to life is through death. And it says, knowing this, that an old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And there's that word, that uncomfortable word, sin, that word we don't always like to talk about. It sounds like just such a, a condemning and judging word, doesn't it? But can I explain sin to you from the perspective of patterns? Sin is a recurring pattern that self-replicates itself and changes its scale as it replicates. Can I say that again? Sin is a recurring pattern that self-replicates itself and changes its scale as it replicates. Sin is every self-destructive pattern in your life. Sin is that replicating pattern that destroys your hope, that destroys your future, that destroys your relationships with people and your relationships with God, and that ultimately destroys your spirit. There are self-repeating patterns in our lives that are keeping us in bondage, that are keeping us in slavery. And you know what the strange thing is when we talk about God? We act as if God is the one that's going to limit us. So we do everything in our power just to be free. And we say things like, I'm a free man or I'm a, I'm a free woman. I can do what I want to do. I just need to be free to be me and I want to, I want to create my own future. And you know what the funny thing is? We're not even creative when we sin. <laughs> we, keep, we keep committing the same sins over and over. And I'm being facetious this morning, but if you're going to be free to sin, shouldn't you just pick a new sin every day? 
But maybe there's a point that you get in your life where you start picking sin, and sin just basically picks you. I think that's the, the terrifying thing about sin is that when it becomes a self-replicating pattern, you realize that you don't have freedom over it anymore. You don't own sin. Sin owns you. And what's really sad is that so often times everyone else around us can see it and they, they're saying, why do you keep going back to that self-destructive pattern again and again? And you know, we've all been there to, to some degree or another, church, where we say things like, we're never going to do that again, and we do. We say that we're going to leave this behind, but we don't. We say that we're going to change, but, but we can't. And people in your life ask you why you keep making this choice, and you don't know how to explain it. Because it's no longer a choice. You've lost the power to choose. Because this pattern has become a part of you. And it eats away your life. And you know what's even worse sometimes? Is they're not even sins that you choose. Because they've been placed into you by someone before you. It is a pattern that was passed on by your father or your mother, or your cousin or your uncle, or someone else in your family or even your culture. You didn't even choose it. It was just placed into you when you were young. And you don't even remember when they gave it to you, but you became, you became a racist or you became hostile and aggressive. You became unforgiving and bitter. And you became negative and fear, fearful. And it was placed into you. Some of your brokenness didn't begin with you. It was placed into you. And try as you may, try as you may, you can call that freedom, when in fact, you're a slave to sin. But here's the good news. Jesus came to break the cycle of all those self-replicating patterns that keep replicating themselves. And He wants to give you something beautiful in exchange for what is destroying you from within. Something beautiful. And you know, as an example this morning, maybe those self-replicating patterns look like this. Maybe it began with offense. Someone offended you, someone hurt you, and then you got offended, and then you chose not to forgive them. So there was unforgiveness in your heart, and you allowed it to, to boil and to simmer, and, and then it became bitterness. And it began to eat away your spirit. And then your bitterness became anger, and you felt the desire to harm that person, the person that hurt you or offended you. And then that anger became hatred and you wished death on that person. Then your hatred became hostility and your hostility became violence. Your violence became murder, your murder became a war, and then war became genocide. Can you see where sin can, can begin, how small sin can begin and where it can finish? The end of sin is always death. And the problem is that we only call it the human problem or the human tragedy when we see it a genocide war death or violence. Because when it becomes smaller and smaller, it becomes you. It becomes us. And if we really just take a step back for a moment, we will realize that the entire human decay, the entire human demise, is the sin of the human spirit replicated to grand scale. The scripture goes to say, on to say in verse 8, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. 
knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an awesome scripture out there. That's an awesome promise that we've been given. But you may be asking yourself the question, how do you do that? How does that happen? And how does that take place in us? And church, I think we all face two problems, when, two struggles when it comes to our faith and our journey of faith. The struggle of belief and then the struggle of surrender. The first struggle of the belief that God created us in His image and that He loved us and pursued us. That God stepped into human history and He took on flesh and blood and He walked among us in the person of Jesus. That we actually would believe that God was crucified and raised from the dead so that we could live a victorious life. And I think that's a, an honest and fair struggle in, of our belief in the beginning of our faith. But once you believe, you begin to realize the greatest struggle. Because for more difficult, believing for most people is surrendering. And through this process and through this journey of faith, we realize that we could believe in Jesus without ever surrendering our life. And you know, I would have thought that once we believe, then the surrendering would just come naturally. I mean, if we believe there is a God, then that He loves us and that He pursues us, what would ever hold you back? Yeah. But for some reason, we have a resistance to surrender. Yeah. We can believe, but we don't want to surrender. But why is that? Because we want to keep our life. We want to keep our sovereignty. We want to keep our freedom or what we perceive to be freedom. And God is probably saying, look at your life. It's a wreck. It doesn't change the way it loves you. It doesn't change the way it pursues you. But it says, look at your life. Look at that emptiness. Look at that brokenness. Look at the pain and look at the wounds inside of you. You want to keep that? And Jesus says, I have something beautiful in exchange for that. I have something beautiful in exchange for that. And if you'll just give me that part of your life, I'll give you healing and forgiveness. He says, you'll just give me this little part of your life, I'll give you strength and courage. If you give me this last part of your life, I'll give you hope and faith. And I'll give you my love and newness of life in you. Hallelujah. Church, Jesus came to end the power of death and begin the reign of life in every believer. In Romans chapter 8, Scripture tells us this in verse 10 and 11. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. But if Christ is in you, and that's the offer by the way, that's, that's the invitation. Because you see, this is the solution to the human problem. Because God has come to dwell in you. And I really want you to get this this morning. If there's only one thing that you leave with today, I want it to be this. Is that God has come to dwell in you. Because life doesn't just simply come from God. Life comes in God. 
Come on. So God doesn't just give life to you, He gives Himself to you, and life is in Him. Now, church, I'm going to state the obvious this morning, but by the way, your bodies are dying. Which means you die. <laughs> that's one recurring pattern that you cannot change. One out of one in this room is going to die. But the Spirit says, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So I just want you to think about that moment, that for a moment in the context of the crucifixion. Because what the scriptures tell us is that all of our, pla our pain was placed on Him. All of our anger, all of our greed, all of our bitterness, all of our lust, all of our hatred, everything that darkened us was placed on Jesus. The weight of the sin, the old sin, was placed on Him. And Jesus carried the weight of hell and death on Him, but it still didn't have the power to overcome Him, to hold Him down. And church, by the way, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you. Yes, Come on. Yes, and I don't know how much power you need, but that's a promise that we've been given if we die with Christ. How much more do you need? Absolutely. And what's important to note in the scripture that it's not saying that this power will only raise you from the dead once you die a physical death. It says... This power is placed in you by His Spirit in your mortal bodies. In other words, God sees us in our mortality. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Yes. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's a beautiful exchange right there. Jesus gave Himself for you and for me. So church, somewhere, somehow, in this entire story, in your life story, what must happen is that we must join Jesus in His death so that we can truly join Him in His resurrection. Come on. And you know what's really strange sometimes as humans? Even though we give our life to, to Jesus, we, we, we commit our life to Jesus, we have this terrible habit of, of calling back our dead selves. Yeah. Who can relate to that? And Jesus is probably thinking, why do you keep looking for the living among the dead? Sure. And you know, I love how Isaiah tells us this in, in chapter number 25, verse 8. Speaking 700 years before Jesus ever came and gave his life for us. And he prophesies of, the, of, the, of Jesus' coming. And he says that Jesus will destroy death forever. And church, you know what Jesus did on the cross? He destroyed death forever. And it says that God will wipe away every tear from every face. And that's why Jesus came. You didn't come to judge, you didn't come to condemn, you came to wipe every tear from every face. You came to heal your wounds. You came to hold you in your pain. You came to make sure that you know that you matter and that you loved. And then the scripture says, He will take away the shame of His people from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. God said, I've come to take your shame away from you, to wipe away every tear from your face, 
and to destroy it so, so that it never has the power over your life again. But here's the dilemma. Is that we keep trying to build our lives in such a way that we can convince God that we don't need Him. But despite that, despite the way that we, we behave in our lives, God sees us for who we are. He looks at us and sees us for who we are. He sees us in our pain. He sees us in our imperfection. And can I say, He sees us in our sin. And instead of turning His face from us, instead of leaning back or pulling away from us, He just leans in and says, Don't you see that pattern? And can't you see that Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead because it's exactly what you need to reverse those patterns in your life? And the truth is, church, you don't need someone to fix the problems of your life. You need someone to fix the problems of life in you. And the same one who was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, is still raising the dead today. Amen. Amen. And this recurring pattern of the, of the death and resurrection is what Jesus wants to recreate in you and me. So that we can truly live a resurrected life and go out into a world and make an impact in the world or in a world that is desperately looking for a savior. So stop looking for the living among the dead. And stop looking for life in those things that will leave you for dead. Start realizing that all life comes from God and when you give all of yourself to God, when you give everything of yourself to God, you will realize that you will have all the life you could ever hope for. Jesus is still raising the dead today. He just waits for your invitation to step into your darkness, to step into your brokenness, into the, into the death of your spirit, and then do what only Jesus can do. To take you through the crucifixion to the resurrection, and to take you from death to life. Now, church, as I, as I close this morning, the worship team can come up so long. The enemy will want you to think that all you have to do is to believe in Jesus, to live the life that God has purposed for you. And then you can go and live your life in any which way you want to. But I want you to comprehend with me, with me this morning that Jesus was crucified, he was buried and raised again so that we can live with his power while we're still in these mortal bodies. Jesus died so that he could exchange everything that has darkened us from within so that we can truly be a beautiful expression of his resurrected life. You see, the enemy wants to bury us in the grave of fear and of shame and guilt. The grave of brokenness and hatred. The grave of lies. He wants to put us in the grave and throw bits of sand in our face, one handful at a time, slowly but surely suffocating the life out of us. But I want to declare to you this morning that there is no grave that will hold this body down when I'm in Christ Jesus. You can throw deception at me. You can even throw death at me, but love is my redeemer and love is my resurrection. Love is the power that will pull me out of my grave. There is no grave that will hold this body down. 
And you know, I have this confidence this morning, church, as we should all. There was a battle on the hill called Calvary 2019 years ago. When our Savior Jesus was crucified on the cross and He went down to hell. And I think hell was celebrating because they thought they had victory. Yes. But He went down and took back every key. He rose up as a lion so that He could set the world Hallelujah. was buried, raised, rose from the dead so that I could live a resurrected life. And if he walked out of his grave, I'm going to walk out of my grave too this morning. <laughs> Say it with me. There is no grave that will hold this body down. 